0: Take It Away, the Complete Paul McCartney Archive Podcast. Welcome back to Take It Away, the Complete Paul McCartney Archive Podcast. I'm Ryan Brady with Chris Mercer. Today we are talking about Tug of War, Paul McCartney's 1982 album, released April 26th of that year, produced by Beatles producer George Martin, recorded October 1980 to December 8th, 1980. A Terrible Day for Beatles fans. Also, from February 1981 to December 1981, when they finished recording, at a length of 41 minutes and 10 seconds, this is released on Parlophone in Colombia. Chris,
1: um, how do you feel about Tug of War? Well, I think we're back in Primo McCartney territory here. Yep. I would say this is about the best one we've covered since Venus and Mars.
0: Agreed. Absolutely.
1: I can't quite personally put it on Ram or Band on the Run level, but I think it's a lot like Venus and Mars in that it's almost a perfect album, handful of missteps, but the missteps aren't deal breakers. I completely agree. George Martin
0: is back. We have Ringo. We have a whole series of guests we'll get into. But before we do that, why don't we catch up with the quiet Beatle, George, and his record Somewhere in England.
2: (laughs)
1: Very strong showing from George Harrison. I know that the album was accompanied by a lot of turmoil. George was asked to basically rewrite about half of it, as I understand. Yeah, from the label, that's true, right? (laughs) Have you ever heard the original Somewhere in England? Do you have any
0: idea what that consists of? The original rejected track listing I have here, I can read it. It's Hong Kong Blues, Writings on the Wall, Flying Hour, Lay His Head, Unconsciousness Rules... Sat Singing, Life Itself, Tears of the World, Baltimore, Oriole, and then Save the World. So yeah, there are a few tracks that um, those never saw the light of day, at least on the original release. For what we've seen from George to this point, it's definitely one of his strongest albums. I'm okay... With the fact that the label said, go back and record more music.
1: <laughs> I'm always loath to admit that the label might be right, yeah. but this time, maybe it was.
0: All those years ago, we probably wouldn't have.
1: Blood from a Clone is a great track. A
0: lot of those tunes weren't on the original track listing. And, you know, I have the original track listing. I think the official release is better. The label was right. Sorry, indie and DIY fans worldwide.
3: Shouting all about love, while well, they cheated you like a dog.
1: I picked this one up as a kid. I think I must have gotten this one, you know, in a local department store somewhere. Not too long after it came out, so this is 81. I probably picked it up in 84. And I was very impressed, actually. You know, it's not one of his top five maybe, but it's pretty good. Well, it's great also
0: because on all those years ago, this is the first time that Harrison, McCartney, and Starr
1: were together since I, Me, Mine in 1970. Right. And supposedly the session was very interesting. Now, it was intended to be a Wonderlust session in part. Yeah. George Harrison was going to contribute guitars to the tug of war track Wonderlust. That section of horns that reflects
0: the melody. George was meant to do something there. And he, well, he didn't. George's negotiation was well, I'll do that, Paul, but you need to come and record on a track I have with Ringo. Paul Obliged
1: with Linda. What, it's the backing vocals, I believe, on All Those Years Ago? It's backing vocals, yeah. It's basically wings on backing vocals.
0: But you know, George
1: never fulfilled his part of the bargain. It's too bad. All Those Years Ago is a strange song. It was originally intended for Ringo, and it had a completely different set of lyrics, and George repurposed it as a John tribute. And some people are very critical of it because it's such a poppy upbeat song and yet it's about John you know when I heard this record as a kid I didn't you know know anything about it but I heard all those years ago and I could see immediately that it was a John tribute yeah and I thought it was kind of touching that it was an upbeat positive song yeah it's definitely a pop song
0: Number one on the U.S. Billboard AC chart, Canada's RPM, top singles chart, number two on Billboard's Hot 100, you know, I could go on and on.
1: This is a pop song. Yeah, it's almost disco. It has that funky synthesizer solo. The string part is like in fourths, sort of like How Do You Sleep, and a, a lot of John's songs from that period. Right. Sort of a 4th C strings part. I I always took the string part to be kind of a John tribute. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't.
0: Well, there are definitely lyrical references to All You Need Is Love. Yeah. And Imagine, you
1: know, You Were The One Who Imagined It All. It's nice. I don't mind this tune at all. Now, George had some interesting things to say about this session. And so did denny lane. I want to read these please. This is a quote from 1988 february 1988 from george harrison Here's what he said Some of the time we got on pretty well meaning he and paul But I find I really don't have anything in common with him (laughs) I think if you have a relationship with somebody else you have to be able to trust each other And to do that you have to be able to talk straight the thing with paul is one minute He says one thing, and he's really charming, and the next minute, you know, he's all uptight. Right. Now, that plays into this session. This is an interview from Denny Lane uh, that was conducted by the author of this book. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this book, Blackbird... It's a book called Blackbird, The Life and Times of Paul McCartney by Jeffrey Giuliano. And it seems to go out of its way to paint the most negative possible portrait of McCartney. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I agree with that. Nevertheless, there is an interview conducted with Denny Lane here. And Denny Lane says the following about that session on All Those Years Ago. The last time I was at George's in 1981 to work on All Those Years Ago, Paul and Linda were also there. Paul has a way of coming in and taking over and making everything a bit edgy. Everything was uptight. When he and Linda left, the atmosphere suddenly changed and became more relaxed. Everybody seemed to physically go, phew, and start enjoying themselves. Paul thinks he's easygoing, but there is a mistrust about him. He doesn't trust people, and it shows. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. That would sound like a rather tense recording session.
0: You think that's from beatles era stuff
1: <laughs> i don't know yeah probably Where does that come from but it's interesting that it's denny lane talking about man, it. man well that sounds like a recipe for stress i think it worked out fine because i actually think the brass band on Wonderlust is great and i can't imagine george <laughs> harrison would have come up with anything that good on slide guitar yeah. or whatever maybe george
0: was intimidated maybe george heard the track because i believe and we'll get into that in a moment Wanderlust is one of Paul's best songs, best vocals. I think he may have been, in, yeah, intimidated by it, sure. Let's chalk it up to both.
2: I had my shirt a
3: crime bucket, too. Tid jobs, dude. So hard to take, I got a sulky whip.
0: Teardrops and All Those Years Ago are two of the songs that were recorded after the label rejected the album. So like Paul McCartney, maybe George Harrison responds to a bit of a challenge
1: as well. You know, sometimes the labels squash creativity, and sometimes they rein in rock star indulgence. And maybe this is a case of the latter. This era,
0: especially because we're dealing with records that were released after John Lennon was killed feels like a seismic shift for George and Paul. I find that this period after Tug of War or Pipes of Peace are released, this is where we really see the birth of Paul McCartney, the solo artist. And, you know, the same for George Harrison, because we're going to see Cloud Nine, a big smash hit for George coming up in a bit. We won't ruin that for anybody. I mean, you all know what it is. But this is a different period the 80s are a non-John Lennon world where the three remaining Beatles are still competing for attention it's very interesting this period
1: and it's not covered as much as the stuff we've already gone over although at this point George is pretty much beginning to withdraw he made this album and gone tropo partly because of contractual obligations right he was ready to get out of it He'd had enough. This whole endeavor, this whole rock and roll endeavor had damaged him so much that he was tired of it.
0: He was racing cars. He had a big perm at the time. Yeah, it's a very bizarre period for George Harrison. I love it though. A lot of weird recordings from both
1: George and Paul during this period. I always loved this album and, you know, spoiler alert, I love *Gone Gontropo too. The idea that he hated making it is alien to me given how much I like it, but... In spite of himself, he's having a good period. From here,
0: a bit of history. I'll just waltz through this as quickly as I can. A little bit of housekeeping. You know, so July through October, this is 80. We have Wings rehearsing what become Tug of War and
1: Pipes of Peace songs. You've heard these recordings. How do they stack up? Wow, it's really strange. I have tapes of rain clouds. Well, we both do, right? These recordings of rain clouds where they go on for, what, 30 minutes recording rain clouds? I mean, we have tapes of, at least we have 30 minutes of tapes. Who knows how long they rehearse? Yeah. And they never did get it right. They had it at one point as kind of a country song.
2: Mm. You can
1: hear Paul sort of guiding them through it. And Denny's sort of uh, trying to help out with the song itself different points but they're giving a kind of a country rendition of it and it's not actually a country song you could see how that might happen but it's not really a country song no that's just one example it's strange to hear wings you know the 1979 wings trying to make their way through these things
0: yeah things like keep under cover average person
1: yeah it's interesting to hear wings trying these songs that i think of as definitively solo 80s mccartney
0: in the late 70s back to the egg era mccartney 2 era yeah it's very very interesting
1: And so also from this session, supposedly they brought Here's a corduroy Roy back, or Give Us a mm-hmm. corduroy, Roy, or
2: <laughs> whatever
1: yeah. you call it at that point. Whatever the hell it is, sure. And most significantly, they were working on some silly little songs from, that had been demoed at the Rude Studios, like Stop, You Don't Know Where She Came From. I love that tune. So we only have the Rude Studio version, right? We don't have a Wings version of this. As far as I know Supposedly a studio recording exists I have not heard it I only know the Rude Studio one Yeah mm-hmm. Okay It's a good song It's a little uh it, I mean it's short And it seems unfinished But it's pretty energetic and fun Let, Let's play a bit of it well,
3: You better stop You don't know where she
0: It has this Rude Studio quality to it that we've heard in the past. I would love a collection, eventually, of every single Rude Studio demo, wouldn't you? I would buy that up in a second. Yeah,
1: I've collected all of them that I could find, but I'm sure it's not complete.
0: But as you're saying, Stop You Don't Know Where She Came From... Songs like Unbelievable
1: Experience or Seems Like Old Times. Yeah, these Rude Studio songs. Unbelievable Experience is kind of a, an unfinished song, right? Right. What happened there? I have no idea. Do you want to quote some of those lyrics? You seem to remember a few of them. The Way You Toot Your Flute... Um,
0: beyond um, a baby, you're a dongong kid now. I believe in an unbelievable experience.
1: Yeah. So it seems as if he was on his way to a song there, but it, it didn't quite work out. Right. But it's, it's still kind of a cool demo, you know. Really cool. I love that little tune. It sounds really good. Let's play some of that for the folks here. So he's clearly ad-libbing a lot of that and sort of, it's a demo with a lot of dummy lyrics, but it seems to have some promise and it has some nice energy. So that's right around, that's post-McCartney 2, right? That's Rude Studios around 1980. Right. Well, it seems like old times strikes me as, this is one of the great unrecorded Paul McCartney songs. This is a great song and it should be on an album. Really good. And I cannot understand how it just disappeared. What a wonderful song. And we have two versions of it. We have a, a piano demo and we have a fairly fully realized Rude Studio demo. They're both great, but the Rude Studio one is really good.
3: The other day I met someone I had known in another lifetime. Old puzzle pieces lost without a trace fell into place in my mind. But we both knew We were getting into And we didn't want to stop Now we wouldn't want to miss it Cause it seems like old times So like long ago That I hardly even know Who's who anymore What's new anymore Seems like old
2: times
3: Familiar music man Singing me a song from another lifetime When urgent letters waiting for the post Were uppermost in my mind But he got through and before we knew it, well, we didn't want to stop. No, we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to stop, because we wouldn't want to miss it. Well, it seems like old times, so like long ago that I hardly
1: hell happened to this thing? What a great song. Is it just because the title already existed, maybe? I mean, there's an old, old song from the American songbook called Seems Like Old Times, of course. There's a movie called Seems Like Old Times, which is actually named after the song, the old standard. I don't know. This would fit perfectly on Tug
0: of War, as far as I'm concerned. That's a great tune, yeah. What I understand, and this could be wrong, George Martin makes an appearance. In late 1980, in Paul's life, he has this tune that we all know, we all stand together, you know, the frog choruses. We'll come back to that tune. So Paul's back in the studio with George recording this song. And this is when Paul has the idea to have George come back and produce his next album, what he thinks is the next Wings album. And from what I understand, from my research, George heard all of these demos And he's like, you know what, Paul? You got to write some more tunes. You got to go back. You have to write some more stuff. So George
1: Martin rejected seems like old times?
0: If I had to put money on it, that's what I
1: would say it is. Yes. Interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about George Martin. All right. This whole period between the end of the Beatles and tug of war, he was pretty busy, During that time. Yes, he was. He was producing some pretty major acts. And he he actually produced some pretty giant albums. Now, I'm not an expert on George Martin's uh, production discography. But I did go back and listen to some America albums that he produced. And I listened to Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow. And I was very impressed by the America albums. In fact, maybe I'll look into America now. Wow, pretty good band. (laughs) Yeah, they're great. I listened to some, yeah, mid-'70s to to late-'70s when George Martin was producing them. And also before that, they were doing some good stuff before George Martin took over.
3: Well, I tried to make it Sunday But I got so damn depressed That I set my sights on Monday and I got myself undressed. I ain't ready for the altar. But I do agree there's times when a woman sure can
1: be. Blow by Blow by Jeff Beck. That's a major, major album. That's a classic album. And it is such an amazing piece of mid-70s jazz fusion that my impression from listening to America and listening to Jeff Beck was that George Martin does not really have a production style. Hmm. And that is about as high a compliment as I could give him. That puts him in a in the pantheon with, you know, Phil Ramone, Russ Titleman, Richard Perry, people who basically adopt the style of the artist they're working with. That's what you want in a producer, right? Someone who just adopts your style. Right. If you listen to... Any of those late 70s or mid to late 70s America albums, and you listen to Blow by Blow by Jeff Beck, you wouldn't know it was the same producer. And certainly if you put Abbey Road on next to that, you wouldn't think, oh, yeah, this is all from the same mind. Right. So he seems to just be a kind of producer chameleon who just brings out the best in whoever he's got.
0: the same time he had produced jimmy webb neil Sedaka, cheap trick and i'm looking at this list of albums and i would have never said oh yeah these are george martin records
1: i actually was like wait what the what is this it's crazy it's really really crazy so you hire someone to be your producer you're not looking for their sound you're looking for them to bring out your sound right And that seems to be what George Martin does, and that's what all the great producers do. You listen to a Phil Ramone record by Billy Joel, you think Billy Joel. You listen Mm -hmm. to a Phil Ramone record by Paul Simon, you think Paul Simon.
0: Paul and Wings are in the studio, George Martin, they're recording tracks and something terrible happens. December 8th, 1980, John Lennon is gunned down in front of the Dakota building in New York City. McCartney gets news of this the next day, right? Because it was late at night in New York, early in the morning next day in England on the 9th. Paul goes in and they record the song that you brought up at the beginning of this podcast and that's rain clouds and the sessions were not great from what i understand although
1: they did get the Yulian pipes that day what is it paul maloney yes
0: So that song, and I remember first hearing it thinking like, I think this might be unfinished. Like it makes sense that it's a B-side because there's not a lot of drums. There's not much to the arrangement. But the song's beautiful. This is the song they were recording. The song's beautiful. Yeah, this is the tune they were recording when John was killed. This is it.
1: This is the time capsule. Yeah. And I can understand Paul's decision. Based on what I know about Paul McCartney being the ultimate workaholic that his response would be look the press is surrounding my house i can't think straight why don't i go to the studio and just work that sounds like a paul mccartney response definitely yeah and kind of a noble one in its way right so it didn't work out they did get the Yulian pipes that day and i guess they did some guitars and uh they ended up having to give up And Paul came out of the studio that day, again, surrounded by press. And he famously had this faux pas because he just didn't want to talk. Yeah. And he just said, yeah, drag, isn't it? Okay, cheers. (laughs) And took off. It sounds really bad. Yeah. But I totally understand. Imagine that you just don't want to talk. It's just unbelievable that this thing has happened and people are sticking microphones in your face. And you're coming out of a a recording session that fell apart because, of course, you couldn't do it. What is there to say? He doesn't have anything to say. You're going to say, it's a drag. It's a drag, isn't it? It's a very human moment for Paul. He's very private, and I can't imagine him wanting to open up in a situation like that. That's why he was in the studio, for crying out loud. Right. But it sounds like it was a very fraught session, a lot of tears, a lot of hugs, and somehow somehow they got those awesome bagpipes down.
0: In a way, it's the soundtrack to Lennon's funeral, right? Aren't bagpipes often a feature of some funerals? Why not? Yeah,
1: yeah and it's a beautiful song. And not only is it a great song, it's a great record. And I've been disappointed since I was a child that it was a B-side. I guess we'll get into it when we get into Tug of War, but yeah. it belongs on the album. It does. Great song. So this happens...
0: Wings gets back together for a brief period of time to put the finishing touches and overdubs on a group of 12 songs, famously unknown, but known, as Hot Hits and Cold Cuts. Then they take two months off, right? Then they start up again at a studio George Martin has built in the Caribbean, Air Monteserrat. And they're here from the 3rd of February to the 2nd of March, and they have the greatest time. They record amazing music. Carl Perkins shows up. Stevie Wonder shows up. Ringo shows up. And this is where Denny Lane famously quits because he critiqued a lyric in
1: Somebody Who Cares. Well, it can't be that. Right? It seems as if something must have been going on. It can't just be that they fought about a lyric and that was the end of their relationship because it was, in fact, the end of their working relationship. This is it. Paul must have needed to burn that bridge. He must have needed to move on. Let's look at McCartney's life in the past couple
0: of years here. He releases Back to the Egg. It bombs. Mm-hmm. He gets put in jail for marijuana possession in Japan. Yeah. Holes up in a farm records the zaniest album he's done to date, scores a number one with that, though. And then his best friend, and maybe the reason that he has this career, John Lennon, gets killed. I would burn the bridge. My I would burn them all down.
1: Get, like, let's start again. Yeah, it makes me sad because we've been big Denny Lane flag wavers throughout this podcast. We like him, right? We like his songs. I love Denny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We like his contribution to Wings. And I think he's a really good partner for Paul. But it does seem as if it had run its course. Absolutely. It's too bad, though, that it has to end in a kind of an acrimonious way. It is sad.
0: And it reminds me of something that one of our friends from the web, Paul B. Kilgore, sent in to us. I'm going to read from an email he sent us. Not too long ago, the sad truth is that he, meaning Paul, needs adversity, even tragedy, to produce great art. When things are going well, we get the doggone girl is mine. But when faced with tragedy, we get masterpieces like Tug of War and Chaos and Creation. I find Tug of War incredibly revealing. So in that way, I agree with you about loving McCartney in his weak moments. This is something that I said to Paul via email. Most. Every song in that album is about trouble Bodies coming apart at the seams Fighting like cats and dogs What petty crime was I found guilty of Survivor's guilt permeates the record I hear Lennon's death and its impact on Paul throughout Interesting Lonely driver out on the road Sole survivor carrying the load You never know who may be listening to you Can't be held responsible now This one's not for me Paul
1: Kilgore has nailed it. Paul needs this to create art. Now, let's not forget that some of these songs were written before John's death, but it does all come together on this album. You know, I mean, even if you wrote the songs before John's death, the decision to bring them all together onto an album and present that is meaningful. And it does seem as if he chose to put together a very, it's not exactly a dark album. But there is a dark undertone. So to the point you just made, it's true some of these songs were written
0: before. Some of these songs, though, don't make it out until the next album. The second disc on the
1: intended double album, which I would have hoped he would have called War and Peace. I don't think it was all that intended, though. Was it? No. It's not like Red Rose Speedway where we have a track listing, right? It's more like we've got a lot of songs we could put out two albums I did a bit of digging before we dive right in headfirst on this record
0: do you want to hear the recording order that goes through tug of war and then through pipes of peace just to get a bit of context so I'm gonna read a list so fast forward if you're not interested in this folks but here we go track number one we all stand together this is the thing that kicks off the relationship with George Martin again ballroom dancing from Tug of War. Keep Under Cover, Pipes of Peace. Hmm. Rain Clouds, Ode to a Koala Bear, Tug of War, Wanderlust, Dress Me Up as a Robber, The Pound is Sinking, Somebody Who Cares. Hey, hey, Take It Away,
2: hmm.
0: Average Person, Get It, Ebony and Ivory, What's That You're Doing, Here Today, Be What You See, and then the rest are. Pipes of Peace songs. Sweetest little show, Say, 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 The Man, Pipes of Peace, So Bad, Tug of Peace, The Other Me, Through Our Love, and Twice in a Lifetime. So you have a, a clutch of songs, Keep Undercover, it was recorded between ballroom dancing and rain clouds. Average person, was recorded between Take It Away and Get It. It's very interesting.
1: And as we already discussed, they were rehearsed by Wings. Exactly. Very interesting. There's a bit of continuity there from Wings into both of these albums. That's right. And so maybe there was a bit of
0: an intentional, hmm, average person? Eh, let's hold this one back. Keep Undercover? Eh. Keep Undercover, to me, that's a fun tune. It doesn't have this somber, dark edge you're talking about. I think a... George Martin really knocked it out of the park on this album with both song selection, production, everything, really. So, what was it like the first time you heard this album? I heard this album, Winter sometime in the late 90s mid to late 90s it will always
1: be a christmas album for me big christmas album for me I, I i hesitate to talk too much right now about this whole thing because i want to talk about it in the next podcast but Tug of War and Pipes of Peace were not only my first Paul McCartney albums, but they were really my introduction to the Beatles. Mm. Imagine how absurd that is for some of our older listeners. Yeah. That here's this kid who's like, okay, if I can just check out this Paul McCartney guy first, maybe I'll give this Beatles thing a chance.
0: <laughs> well, sure, but he could, but that's because he's on the radio. He's actually doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was
1: on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, I got Tug of War and Pipes of Peace for Christmas 1983. And I listened to them at five o'clock in the morning. And I'll talk about that more in the next podcast. But you know, if you have twins, somebody has to be born first. In this case, it was Pipes of Peace. Tug of War uh, happened at about 545 in the morning. It was the more important album of the two by far. Right. You know, this was a life changing hour and a half with Pipes of Peace being the new Paul McCartney album at the time, but with Tug of War not being very old. So I'm with you on the Christmas thing, man. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Although it was not released at Christmas. Pipes of Peace is justifiably kind of a Christmas album, actually, but not Tug of War.
0: Yeah, this was released in right around the time we're recording it, you know, what
1: is it, 40 years ago. It was among the weirdest pop albums I'd ever heard, and I felt awed by it. I listened to it a few times, and I was much more focused on it than I was on Pipes of Peace. I didn't understand how you could just have a song that was made up of three songs. Yeah. Even though I'd already heard scenes from an Italian restaurant, I still didn't understand The Pound is Sinking. Like, it was so bizarre. I mean, scenes from Italian restaurant is one thing. Yeah. The pound is Sinking is what, three and a half minutes? Something like that? The Pound is Sinking is two minutes and 56 seconds. So I'm overestimating how long it is. You have Get It followed by Be What You See. A few tracks later, you get Ebony and Ivory, but that wasn't what I was focused on.
0: Well, let's... Why don't we just kick it off then? Right at the top of the record, A-side, track one tug-of-war.
2: It's a
3: tug-of-war What with one thing and another It's a tug-of-war Expected more, but with one thing and another, we were trying to outdo each other in a tug of war. In another world, in another world, we could stand on top of the mountain with our flag unfurled. In a time to come In a time to come We will be dancing to the beat Playing on a different drum
1: You know, I was looking at the credits. There aren't that many string players. It sounds really huge, but there's just a handful of string players. George Martin. Yeah, George Martin. Probably a little doubling going on there, huh? And a lot of reverb. Absolutely. And...
0: Something that I'll just say right at the top of this record that I didn't realize until I dug in and did hours and hours of research is that this really is a solo album. Paul is playing the majority of the instruments. The drums on tracks I didn't even realize were him, lead guitars, acoustic guitars, a lot of drums. vocals, background vocals, synthesizers. He really put in a lot of work.
1: And I don't think he would have if John hadn't have been killed. I really don't. This podcast isn't the story of my reaction to this album as a kid, but I have to tell you, looking at those credits as a kid, yeah. wait a minute, he played drums and bass and piano and sang all the background. <laughs> wait a <Yeah>. minute, <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, man, you're
0: talking about Christmas as a kid we named this damn podcast after one of these songs so that's right this is an important album it's an important album for me too i really cherish this whole record even the even the flimsier bits like i'm like yeah this is cool because it's so
1: bizarre so tug of war this is a major production this is george martin at his best with the orchestrations with the snare drums went to huddersfield To record the tug of war tournament. Yes. I love this because I have a bit of a connection to Huddersfield, England. I I had no idea there was a tug of war connection. There (laughs) you go. It's very charming to me to think that the tug of war sounds at the beginning were not faked in the studio, but were actually recorded in Huddersfield, England at a tug of war tournament. That's fantastic.
0: Eddie Klein, the tug of war association championship. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it sounds great. What a great way to start the album. They sound so intense. So, it's a very serious track. It's Paul McCartney at his most serious. It's not Wings at the Speed of Sound anymore. It's not She's My Baby. He's trying to make a big, like, Beatles esque kind of statement here. Rolling Stone
0: described this song as McCartney's equivalent to John Lennon's Imagine. Mm -hmm. To others, though, I would, you know, I'd say maybe Pipes of Peace actually is that song. But this tune was. I don't know. It definitely rings closer to a Beatles thing than Pipes of Peace, for me, at least. Yeah,
1: basically, what could we do if we weren't fighting all the time?
0: This was released as a single, September 6th, 1982. The B-side was Get It, and it reached 53 in the UK and 53 in the US. So it made the top 100 on both sides of the pond. Not a smash hit, but I love this song, especially the bridge. The last thing I'll say, the military snare was played by... The major drummer of the Campbelltown Pipe Band, which was on Molliv Same guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
0: Campbell Maloney. So a bit of a bookend with these sort of big, majestic, country, pastoral-type tunes.
3: It's a tug, of war. A, tug of war, a tug of war. What with one thing and another? It's a tug of war. We expected more, but with one thing and another, we were trying to outscore each other in a tug of war.
0: This song fades right into. The title of our podcast, Take It Away.
1: And you know what? I just watched the video, and it's a good video, too. Really great video. With John Hurt. Very early in the history of music videos, actually, John Hurt starring basically as Brian Epstein, even wearing the polka-dotted tie, apparently, Mm -hmm. that Brian Epstein wore, and sort of discovering the McCartney band. And how charming is it to see George Martin playing a part of the band? I love it. (laughs) Very awkwardly. I love it all. I love it. The chorus is a kind of a simple 1-4-5, could almost be an early Beatles song. But it's an interesting song because the chorus with the simple 1-4-5 contrasts with this very sophisticated sort of higher numbered chord changes in the verse. Paul describes the chorus as a Buddy Holly
0: style thing on some of the rehearsal tapes that we've reviewed. So this tune was released as a single... The 21st of June, 1982, is a 7-inch, and then again as a 12-inch, July 5th, 82. The B-side on the 7-inch is I'll Give You a Ring. What a song. We'll get to that one.
3: Take it away, take it away After hours, late in the bar By the dark and corner sea
1: What an amazing horn arrangement. Yes. George Martin just at his best here with the horn arrangement. Let's just play some of that horn arrangement. You have to know the instruments themselves pretty well to write with this kind of nuance absolutely so you know this is really showing george martin as a good arranger they're playing very fluidly and you would have to know enough about the fingerings to get that to work so this song spent 16
0: weeks on the billboard hot 100 singles charts reached number 10 in the u.s and number 15 in the uk
1: this was a pretty sizable hit from McCartney. I remember this as a hit when I was a kid. It predates my interest in Paul, the actual release of the single, but I definitely remember like when I got that album, I was already looking forward to that song because I already knew it. And I'd seen the video a bunch on MTV, so it was out
0: there. Do you know that George Martin's keyboard part was meant to be a guide only and Paul decided to leave it in? Sure. Yeah. Why not? It sounds great. In- I can't believe I haven't mentioned this yet, but that bass guitar part throughout, so good. It's a lead
1: line. So many melodies in this song. It goes back to that old quote about Paul's a megalomaniac about everything else about himself, but he's coy about his bass playing.
0: Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right.
1: He's not blowing your head off with this bass part.
0: No, but to be able to pull that together and know maybe, well, I'm going to have to sing this. And this is a pretty complicated rhythmic part, but it's nothing for him. It's a breeze and it's I think that's why songs like this and others are so great that the craftsmanship appears effortless but it's just hours of practice you just never see all the work that goes into it
1: so that brings us to the third track on the album which is one of my favorites
3: when nobody is coming on at the seams and the whole thing's feeling low you're confused yourself that there's nobody there I know I know how you feel Like somebody has taken the wheels off your car when you had somewhere to go Well it's annoying not going to get very far But somebody cares There's always someone somewhere You should know by now Always somebody who cares is happening there
1: it's what a great song and i just found out to my horror disgust that he wrote it like really fast really really fast <laughs> he, the, the, he wrote the chorus like okay we're gonna record it so i better write a chorus uh-huh. <laughs> it goes back to it, man we was lonely where he wrote the chorus at lunch you know yeah he's got spanish guitar in there pan flute by adrian brett denny lane playing a synth guitar a great song yeah he's got the verse in the minor key and the chorus in a major key which you know tips you off that he wrote them at separate times but it just works perfectly he wrote this tune as a fresh song to
0: play for stanley clark and steve gatt they were arriving on the island
1: here you know here's a new tune let's get to it brand new for you guys <laughs> yeah well you think back on the ram sessions he had uh denny sywell Hugh McCracken showing up every day yeah and they just started at you know nine in the morning and worked all day on that song. You like the lyrics to this song? Yes, I do like the lyrics to this song. You know, a a little bit grim in the verse and then becomes really positive in the chorus in the major key. However grim things might be, somebody cares. Yeah, I like the lyrics to this song.
0: I've got nothing bad to say about this song. I used to think that the lyrics about the wheels of your car not being on were clumsy but the older i get the
1: more i'm like i suppose it's just everything's going wrong today
0: yeah i i don't mind it especially but look paul lived in london he'd been to new york he'd been all over the world that's me talking about growing up in the suburbs now that i've lived in cities it's like yeah i guess that could happen
1: <laughs> the wheels of your car could get removed i suppose it's a bit of a stretch but it's it's a metaphor you know it works okay but I, I love this song it's one of my favorites on the album actually somebody who cares and by the way beautiful vocal on this one. really good
0: vocal performance
1: so the pan flutes and the bridge that sounds really great let's
0: just play a bit of this for everybody there you go
3: i know how you feel like somebody has taking the wheels off your car so then
1: the next track unfortunately yeah uh, you don't love it we're coming to one of the dark dark parts of the album yeah
0: what's that you're doing and i guess chris you want to ask paul what's that you're doing here
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm just such a huge stevie wonder fan But I guess I want my Stevie Wonder in a Stevie Wonder package. This just seems like all of a sudden there's a Stevie Wonder song on a Paul McCartney album.
0: You know, I feel the same way you do about this song. On the last listen, on the listen for this recording, I started, just started to get it. Because you're reading the stories about Stevie, right? Where... (laughs) which are mostly about showing up late. Paul doesn't even know if he's going to show up to this island. Hey, Stevie, we're going to be starting at X o'clock. And he's like,
1: oh, I'll be there. Hey, man, I'm just playing some stuff. Yeah, I'm just playing through some stuff, man. I'll be there.
0: And it's hours later that he shows up, whether it's to dinner or to a
1: recording session. They didn't. The know. lunch that turns into dinner. So yeah,
0: they're on some island where you have to take some private plane, and it lands at some frightening angle. Paul said, "He's like, oh, you get used to how the plane lands." So, I just hear Paul asking Stevie, like, "Why the hell are you late to my sessions?" And these lyrics, "What are you doing?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you're talking about Paul McCartney, the workaholic. Yeah. With Stevie Wonder, who probably is a workaholic in his own right, but clearly deals with it differently.
0: Absolutely.
1: The song seems completely out of place. What's it doing there? It's a Stevie Wonder song.
0: Yeah, it is a Stevie Wonder song. And
1: Paul sounds really, can I just say, Paul sounds not just white, but ultra white, i.e. British. (laughs) He Mm. sounds hilariously white on this record. Now, supposedly Paul intentionally didn't uh, blues it up because he thought it would be gauche. But what's more gauche? Like Paul is a very natural R&B singer. We've heard it on Call Me Back Again and <laughs> a bunch of tracks. It, wouldn't it make more sense for him to use his Call Me Back Again voice here than to sound like the white guy on the record? This is one of my two giant, giant missteps on this album. It's the medicine jar of tug of war. Yeah, swap it out for rain
0: clouds or I'll give you a ring or seems like old times,
1: something like that. And this gets, well, I guess we'll talk about it more when we get to Ebony and Ivory, but you could have had a really cool like Stevie Paul McCartney single with Ebony and Ivory as an A side and what's that you're doing as a B side. And that would have made sense. Yeah. And we'd be talking about that as a single that came out around the time of Tug- of- War instead of talking about how it Mars the album.
0: Right in take it Away podcast at gmail.com. That's Take it away podcast at gmail.com. Complain about us. Let us know how you're feeling. Yeah, maybe
1: we're totally missing it here. Two
0: last things on what's that you're doing. Paul re-recorded the drums after Stevie left. Because Stevie was giving him a hard time and Paul was like, i own crying. So Paul just like was hitting the snare to keep time because Stevie was so dictatorial about keeping time. I see. Also, Andy McKay, Roxy music sex player, plays an instrument called the Lyricon on this track near, way near the end. Right. It's an electronic wind instrument that was invented by Bill Bernardi. I didn't know that that was this instrument. I just thought it was a keyboard.
1: But yeah, it's a an electronic wind instrument. Pretty cool. It's one of those things where who cares that it's a wind instrument? Sounds like a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's still a MIDI. <laughs> like the syntax. Yeah,
0: you know. exactly. But
1: it is kind of a novelty that the Lyricon makes an appearance on this track. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the John Lennon Elegy here today, which is a crushingly... Painful song, yes.
3: And if I said I really knew you well, what would your answer be if you were here today here today? Well knowing you you promised and say that we were worlds apart if you were here today, ooh, here today
0: Paul's
1: talking about the time when they were in the Beatles where they cried together where they got drunk yeah they were stranded and they just drank non-stop in Florida
0: some, something to do with the weather, like a hurricane or something along those lines. Well, they
1: were on their way to Jacksonville, and there was a problem with the hurricane. And they ended up in, what, Key West? Yeah. And they ended up just stranded. And I can kind of relate, you know. We're stranded for a few days. I guess we'll just drink nonstop. So they drank nonstop, and John and Paul got drunk one night and talked about everything and cried.
3: Didn't understand a thing. But we could always sing. What about the night we cried? Because there wasn't any reason left to keep it all inside. Never understood a word. But you were always there with a smile.
0: So Jack Rothstein if played violin on the Beatles' I Am The Walrus and I Within You, Without I You. And he's on this track. So there's a direct connection to John musically there. It definitely has the yesterday feel, but way darker, way sadder. And I love that Paul still plays this one in concert, and he still gets yeah. choked up.
1: He's played it a lot in concert. It says something that he still gets choked up.
0: And you're here today because you're in my song, and he's playing that to stadiums across... Not only the United States, the world.
1: Because you're in my song. What a beautiful way to what end What I it.
0: find very fascinating is that Paul, when his mother died, Mary, he blurted out, what are we going to do without her money, right? So he was always very embarrassed and upset by this. Who knows how he was feeling about John because they didn't really resolve everything. They had a pleasant phone conversation before John died, and John was saying good things about Paul and the press coming up, you know, got John back in the studio. There's rumors that John was saying I want to record with Paul again when he's recording Double Fantasy. I think it's a shame we didn't get a John and Paul reunion. I think we would have saw one in the 80s or at least the 90s because we we have the anthologies. It
1: was on people's minds. <laughs> it was sucked. <laughs> i mean free as a bird sucked and real love sucked <laughs> i don't know who knows what happened they they might have gone back together and done great stuff you know who knows this was paul's elegy and it, it's it's a beautiful song you know it's sort of interesting too and and appropriate that we're going back to the paul on acoustic with george martin providing the string quartet you know we're back to yesterday we're back to eleanor rigby it's a kind of a beatles homage So that brings us to the conclusion
0: of the A side. And if you flip it over, we have the B side of the record, which kicks off with the great track, Ballroom Dancing. Yeah, this one is a wild track which i just found out was it was meant to be released as the single off of give my regards to broad street
1: yeah and the re-recorded version it was also intended to be the single from tug of war right it was going to be the fourth single that's right so a couple times this one got mixed as a single what an amazing record you've got that announcer coming in you've got the clarinet it's got that whole middle section which is nothing to do with ballroom dancing. It's more like no. modern pop music. And Paul plays everything on this, just about. It's, well, it's crazy. Yeah, this giant sounding track, and it's actually kind of a McCartney track. It's kind of Maybe I'm Amazed, actually. Yeah, a wacky, zany, yeah. 80s, early 80s, Maybe I'm Amazed,
0: about ballroom dancing, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's going back to his days as a young kid, With George Harrison, they would go to the Liverpool dance and they would be afraid to ask anyone until the last waltz. And then they'd get up the courage and force someone to dance with them. Or sometimes not. Or sometimes not. So he's sort of dealing with all the awkwardness of being a teenager at a dance and all the things he learned. From that experience. It's a great song. You mentioned the clarinet glissando. That was by
0: Jack Brimer Mm -hmm. of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. He was the first clarinet from 1947 to 1963. So he's retired
1: at this time. And he also participated in
0: the recording of A Day in the Life. That's
1: right. He was in the big orchestra. So the glissando, he probably had done that before. Yeah. (laughs) He did that in day in life. Yeah. That glissando is a standard clarinet glissando. Everyone knows how to do it because it's at the beginning of Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin. There's one glissando. Glissando on the clarinet that everyone can do. It's kind of a joke among clarinet players actually that everyone knows how to do that glissando and you can like pick parts of it <laughs> to put in Hilarious. to put in your song or your piece, yeah. We'll play a little bit of George Gershwin because why not? <laughs> Let's hear the glissando. Sure. <laughs>
0: So you also mentioned an announcer. That's Peter Marshall, a popular American television and radio personality from the 50s and 60s. So some think that this tune is a reference to a show Marshall hosted called Come Dancing. I don't know it. Do you know this
1: show? No, I I don't know it. It's sort of an American bandstand type show, though, right?
0: Yes, exactly like that. And again, listeners, please... We don't know everything. You tell us. We're finding, actually, that the dialogue... This is before our time. This is well before our
1: time. Yeah. Way before. We're, we're, we're comfortable dating ourselves, but, you know, there are limits. Exactly.
0: See, I love this tune. It's a huge number. I know George Harrison particularly loved this song. At least he loved the Broad Street version. There's documentation of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You like the Broad Street version, right?
0: You know, I like it... And I thought I liked it more than this version, but I don't. Okay, because I thought I remembered you
1: saying that.
0: I don't. Well, yeah, I thought I did. But you want to talk about weird. My first time seeing this song was when I rented this movie in the 90s. I found it on VHS somewhere. And it was on cable, too. And we'll get to this. We'll get to it. (laughs) But, man, I remember making a decision. Do I buy... Give my regards to Broad Street, or do I buy Tug of War? Because I wanted to hear ballroom dancing. And this is a time pre-Amazon,
1: pre-previewing. But post-Vinyl, right? When was this, late 90s, you said? Yeah. So it was well after the time when you would have picked it up yeah. on Yeah, Minal. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought
0: Broad Street was some kind of compilation, some kind of mid-80s greatest hits like, oh, I got some Beatles songs on here. Kind of is. That's what it is. Yeah, but they're re-recordings. That's the that's the wildest part. We'll get to it. It's such a topic. Speaking of the Beatles, the next track on this record, The Pound Is Sinking, this oh is a great God. one.
1: This is a great song. You said it was two minutes and 50 seconds earlier? 2.56. Let me tell you something. This is what I'm looking for in a Paul McCartney song. (laughs) That is to say, I'm looking for about three or four songs. Good Lord. This is actually a suite, and it's a bit like Band on the Run, or maybe it's more like Live and Let Die in that it's more compressed, right? Live and Let Die might even be longer than this. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but it, it is actually made up of really kind of three songs, would you say? Yeah, you have the Pound is Sinking part. You have the Hear Me Lover part. And you have the I Fear My Dear. It's eminently clear that you can't see the trees for the forest. Yeah, that strange part where he sings in an upper-class British accent. Mm-hmm.
3: The Pound is Sinking The Pace was falling. And declare that you can't see the trees for the forest. Your father was an extraordinary man. But you don't seem to have inherited many of his mannerisms.
1: I do think there are some problems with this song, despite how much I love it. I was looking at the Still the Greatest by Andrew Grant Jackson. Yeah. He, he writes about the hear me lover section of the song. In this bit, McCartney pleads mysteriously with his lover that he can't be held responsible for doing something that she knows didn't happen because he only knew her for a minute. Then when he repeats that it didn't happen, he says it didn't happen only for a minute. And anyway, his lover's heart just wasn't in it anymore. Yeah, fair enough. He's being a bit of a jerk. I actually think that it's only the last line that really falls flat. The part with the... Oh, it didn't happen, only for a minute. I think it's, oh, it didn't happen, dot, 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 only for a minute, dot, dot, dot. He's just sort of quoting things from the first part of the song. Yeah. Yeah, he's not actually saying... It didn't happen only for a minute.
0: Yeah, that Andrew Jackson book is a little literal at times.
1: I do think that the last line, your heart just wasn't in it anymore, makes no sense at all. And it's just there for the sake of a rhyme. And that's a bit of a problem because it doesn't make sense. But up to that point, it's it's fine. So we have a lot of concerns with the stock market and with, you know, dollar values, so to speak, going down all over the world and people getting very upset about it. And then there's this sort of, um, there's this guy who comes in with an upper class accent and is talking down to some woman, it sounds like. And then we go into this part with the hear me lover that also seems to be about an accused pregnancy. Maybe, maybe. And then we come, so it's something about going down into lower classes or something. What's happening there? I mean, I always took it as we're dealing with the world economic situation and then we're dealing with some like condescending upper class British guy. And then we're dealing with like a woman who's gotten pregnant by accident and the guy's denying it. And then we're back to the pound is sinking. So maybe it makes sense. I I don't really care. It's a great song. If you if you look at it very closely, it's a bit of a problem.
0: I don't <laughs> put pregnancy in it at all. I just it's all business stuff. It's all money. It didn't happen only for a minute? Yeah. That sounds like I only knew you for a minute. It didn't happen only for a minute like the your fortunes can change <laughs> in the stock market in only a minute. That's how okay. I always take it.
1: Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, you know you're saying, "Oh my god, it didn't happen." I read some stuff about Paul getting hit with a lot of Pregnancy accusations After he became a Beatle After he became famous In Liverpool Everyone thought that Paul was the town bull And everybody's baby was Paul's baby And that might have been what he was reacting to Twelve years later Uh, Yeah, why not Yeah, I, you know, I don't completely buy into that At the very least That part of the song seems to be about An affair with a lover Who took it more seriously than he did I think the lyrics are a bit ambiguous or a bit mysterious but it's okay it's a cut and paste song and we know that these were in fact we should play the demos because in fact we know that these were separate songs from the demos. Yes. So this is a classic Uncle Albert sort of cut and paste job
3: The bound is sinking Pesos falling, the lira's reeling and feeling quite
4: appalling. The
3: pound is sinking, the pesos falling, the lira's reeling and it's feeling quite appalling. The market's bottom has fallen right out. Strong are survivors. <laughs> Down is sinking, they so storming. Hear me, lover you will be held responsible now For something that didn't happen
0: So speaking of cut and paste, the actual recording, it's two separate recordings. I don't know exactly which parts, but there's a razor blade cut that splices these together.
1: A razor blade cut into the multi-track, into the one-inch multi-track, which is a big deal. Yeah. And that's very you know, very Georgia Martin, very Strawberry Fields. Like we'll just make a cut. And then what they did is after they made the cut, which by all accounts, was a very clean cut. Then they made overdubs that sort of smeared the cut a little bit more so you couldn't hear it. Right. I never noticed that it was an actual cut. I would have assumed it was a happiness is a warm gun type band. You know working through the actual tempo changes but it turns out that they were not they just recorded it in separate parts and, and edited
0: the only other thing I have on this track is that Paul plays everything but the bass which is done by Stanley Clark so I always thought Paul played the bass on this but that's Stanley for you on this one and that brings us right into wonderlust yes and this is my favorite song on this record I think this actually is Paul's best vocal performance, period. There's just something about the way he sings this one, there's
1: such power to it. The counter melody. The counter melody is beautiful and he came up with that late in the process too. The demo does not have the counter melody. And he's really screaming
0: this one too at parts, like there's some of that rock and roll to it but it's a ballad. I just feel free when I hear this song and that's what this one's about. So it's the name of a boat he hid away on during the London Town sessions. It's a personal symbol of freedom to Paul. He was caught with some of the devil's lettuce,
1: some marijuana. Yeah, I mean he had a captain, right, on one of his London Town boats. He was giving him a lot of heat about smelling marijuana. These guys are recording Londontown. Yeah. What's wrong with this captain? He doesn't know. It's a song about a marijuana bust. Or about a near marijuana bust, about a captain who threatened to bust them for marijuana and they escaped to the wonderlust. It's very relatable and very universal. And you can just take the song as a song about being accused of anything that's just crap. And you're just being accused of something nonsensical. And you're hoping to escape from this awful situation. You can just take the song and, you know, you can relate it to any situation where you're being harassed for something that is harmless and you're just doing your thing and people are giving you a hard time.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it's my favorite song because it's about a drug bust. I just like the song. I don't care
1: how the song was created. It's just a great tune. Some people have criticized this song or or they've said, oh, gee, I thought it was this grandiose statement about freedom, but it's just about a drug bust. But a, a song about a drug bust in this context is a grandiose song about freedom. Yeah. And We talked about George Harrison the guitar in the middle
0: what you're hearing is (laughs) the phillips jones brass ensemble great great performance great
1: arrangement by george martin of course
0: paul says somewhere that he wishes he had more horns throughout he's like it's just in that one section i wish there were more horns throughout that whole thing i don't know why i didn't put them everywhere Paul's on everything on this one, except for um, it's Adrian Shepard on drums. And then they don't know if it's Denny or Paul on bass. Sounds like Paul to me. So that brings us to a little treat on this record, a short little acoustic number. Well, not that short, two minutes, 28 seconds. Paul and Carl Perkins singing the song Get It get it yes perfect little song really nice tune i've always liked this one yeah never really understood why it wasn't more revered especially because this is not at the end of carl perkins life but carl still sounds good and he's you know he's an older man this this is a beetle who covered carl's songs successfully right bringing his hero onto his
1: own very successful album. It's very nice. The Beatles did more Carl Perkins songs than any other covers on their actual album. Yeah, that's right. So this is a song Paul wrote for them to sing together, and it's a beautiful little song. Yeah, it's really great.
0: And so the laughing at the end comes from this story Carl tells Paul. Paul, I guess, took Carl to a yacht. A guy named Mike Bott had a yacht in the Caribbean. And on this yacht, they're just experiencing the highest levels, the greatest experience you can have. Servants and great food, great drink. Carl turns to Paul. He goes, Paul, where I come from, they call this shitting and high cotton. (laughs) Paul says this to Carl in the recording, and it's cut out. They had to cut it out for, well, Paul says the radio, but I doubt this thing really ever played on the radio. But that's why he's laughing. And I had never known that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it, it is a very genuine laugh at the end there let's hear that laugh at yeah. the end in fact we'll just take that transition into Be What You See you
4: gotta get it you gotta get it good. I hear you go kid come on let's get it you
3: gotta get it
1: So, B, what you see is a transitional track, and it's well-placed. This is fine. And as a matter of fact, you need something. You need a little something to get you from Get It to Dress Me Up as a Robber. And it's even referred to as a link on the album lyrics. Paul said, I wanted a few moments in the album where, like on a Pink
0: Floyd album, you'll get a sound developing into another sound. So you have this on ballroom dancing with a clarinet into the muted trumpet and you have this you know an acoustic guitar throwback number with a laugh kind of a menacing laugh when it's over the soundscape Mm -hmm. yeah
1: it's a little creepy
0: right yeah yeah especially the placement of it then you get this little philosophical statement from paul you know the one you wanted to be is now the one you see i love that
1: line yeah and he's using the vocoder And he's a a big fan of the vocoder, of course. We know that from Goodnight Tonight. And it's used very beautifully here. And it's an atmospheric moment that leads us into an atmospheric song. Really, we need a little transition here. And that gets us into Dress Me Up as a Robber.
0: Love this tune. This is several demos compiled together. Hey, you
1: know what? This might be my personal favorite song on the album. Really? Is that crazy? This is Paul McCartney, man. Uh, You got the amazing, weird falsetto. And then when he drops down into his baritone range and he just sounds like Paul McCartney again, it's amazing. covers so much ground how long is this one this tune is two minutes 243 he covers a lot of ground in 243 there because it starts out as a slightly creepy song yeah absolutely it comes out of be what you see and it's a little creepy and he's got the high falsetto and then he drops down into that part where he's just paul mccartney again
0: the electric guitar part's fantastic
1: the interesting thing about this song too you know the demos on this one are fascinating because he did three separate demos you've got just the riff And you've got a couple different versions of him doing the main song. And then, you know, the Paul McCartney sounding part in the baritone, that's not, apparently he came up with that right there during the recording session. Right. I find it really interesting listening to the Rude Studio demos for this album, you know, that he would make multiple demos for this song and you hear it build up. And as a matter of fact, the EMI Archive Edition does a great job of compiling the three demos into a single track on the third disc of the Archive Edition for this album. Yes. They do a great job of that. You can kind of hear him working it out. It's really great to hear the three demos with him. It really shows you how much work he was doing at Rude Studios to try to work these songs up before going to the studio.
0: in the actual studio of Paul on the vocals, bass, acoustic, and electric guitars, Denny's on synth and the guitar, Dave Maddox on the drums, and then George
1: Martin even on the electric piano again. It's such an interesting lyrical conceit, too. He's basically saying, you know, turn me into any horrible thing you want. I'm still the person who loves you. And he takes it very far, dress me up as a robber. Well, that's a perfect transition into
2: the
0: next song, because the top discovery of this whole Album for me was that Ebony and Ivory Paul wrote as a letter to Linda
1: when they were having a fight. Although he had heard it before, right? He had heard the expression before Ebony and Ivory on the keyboards. It wasn't that a Spike Milligan? Yes. I guess Paul remembered, thought of it when he was having a fight with Linda, but it turned out to be this terrible, terrible song <laughs> that everyone hates. <laughs> everybody but me pretty good music and the wrong person's singing whoa whoa, 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 whoa whoa hold on hold on i'm gonna
0: gong the hell out of you here i love this song are you serious am i serious
1: everybody hates this song
0: well i guess i'm the only person on the other side of the dividing line
1: that likes fucking <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. Yeah, I like the music. I think it's, the music is good. It's musically, it's, a, it's kind of a Barry Manilow song musically, but it's well done. I did so much research on this song. So the, the Spike Milligan phrase, it's black
0: notes, white notes, and you need to play the two to make harmony folks. So this, that phrase was popularized by a guy named James... gray in the 1920s, inspiring the title of the Pan-African journal The Keys. This phrase, they can trace it back to the 1840s. So this goes way back. This has historical context.
3: Ebony and ivory Live together in perfect harmony Side by side on my piano But oh, Lord, why? What we need to survive
2: together
1: musically, I think it's a beautiful song. There's nothing wrong with it musically. I mean, it's like I say, it's kind of a Barry Manilow sort of adult contempo type thing, but it's it's fine. Maybe I'm just jumping on the anti-ebony and ivory bandwagon here, but I just think it's trite. I was watching the video before we got together tonight and thinking the video was kind of cool. I have to admit the video is better than the song. in a way.
0: And they recorded their parts separately. It's fucking cool, <laughs> man. Get this too. Ebony and Ivory was banned in South Africa by the South African Broadcasting Corporation during the apartheid era. I Now I like it. Now I like yeah. the song. Yeah, it was banned. <laughs> it's the only McCartney solo career release to be banned like this. And the official reason... It was because Stevie Wonder accepted his 1984 Academy Award for best original song, that's right, best original song, in the name of Nelson Mandela. And they're like, nope, this is gone. It's not, can't play this one no more.
1: Well, despite the <laughs> animosity. Everybody hates I, I have never met anyone who likes this song. You're the first person I've ever talked to who likes this song. Well, I like it because I like
0: the whole <laughs> black. You know, it's like the Seinfeld, the look to the cookie, the black and white
1: cookie. <laughs> I like that. Good reference. Look to the cookie. Look to the Ebony cookie. Ebony and
3: Ivory.
0: This thing spent seven weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. It was the fourth biggest hit of 1982. For McCartney, the song's run at the top of the charts was the longest of any of his post-Beatles work, the second longest career-wise behind Hey Jude. And for Wonder, it was his longest-running chart-topper, period. So it marked the first time that any single release by any member of the Beatles hit the Billboard R&B chart. It was McCartney's... 28th song to hit number one on the Billboard 100. In 2008, the song was ranked 59 on Billboard's greatest songs of all time. And in 2013, it was ranked 69 in the Billboard list of hot 100 songs of all time. The thing sold 2 million copies. 2
1: million people like the song, Chris, not zero. Okay, here's Paul McCartney addressing my criticisms. Okay. So I think Ebony and Ivory is fine to poke fun at. ...if you are a little embarrassed at the black and white situation. If, on the other hand, you want to use it as a symbol for harmony, it works there as well. For a lot of people, the people that liked it and bought it, Ebony and Ivory became a bit of an anthem for togetherness. So, I'm proud of that aspect of it. I believe that the virtue of the song is that it's a good message presented in a way that's easily accessible. Too easy for some people. Therefore, it's a joke. Fine. But for some people who maybe aren't so complicated, like me, it's okay. It's good. Regarding whether it's too simplistic, who has written the definitive non-simplistic song?
0: Well, I think it's a fine tune. It set a lot of records. Is it my favorite Paul McCartney song? No. Is it my favorite number one by Paul? No. But I think it's fine on this record. It's certainly... Do you not get why people hate it so much? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the, hey, it's the hello, goodbye thing. Up, down, left, right.
1: I think it has fun chords and I don't care. I guess I'm simple too, Chris. I think I'm just a simple man. It's okay. It's fine. I just wish the album didn't end with it. How much better would it be if the album ended with rain clouds? You know, I can remember. Now, this was about a year and a half before I got into Paul McCartney when that song came out. And I can remember everybody loved that song. 1982, I remember it. Everybody loved it. Everyone was singing it. Everywhere you went, it was playing. It was really a gigantic hit. So you got to give it that. Everybody loved it in 1982. I remember Well,
0: it certainly helped propel this album to the top of many different charts you know, Tug of War was nominated for several Grammy Awards. The album was nominated. Ebony and Ivory was nominated for Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Duo or a Group, What's That You're Doing, sorry man, was nominated for a Grammy,
2: Best R&B <laughs> okay. Vocal
0: Performance. I can handle it. Yeah, And even the 2000 and um, whatever it was, 2015 version of Tug of War was nominated for for
1: uh, a Grammy, the box set. It's a great album. And it's a, by the way, it's a great box set. Yes, I encourage anyone who's interested in this topic to get the actual box set. It's just such an amazing series of photos and so much background. This is a particularly good example of the EMI archives. Paul won a Brit award for best male British artist
0: and a Sony trophy for technical excellence. Paul McCartney is a performer, 1983. The album on a whole hit number 1 in Canada, in Italy, in Japan, Norway, Sweden, the United Kingdom, the US Billboard 200, Germany. It went to number 2 in Australia, Austria, France, Israel. I could go on and on and on. This thing brought Paul back. The press on this album in in contemporary reviews for Rolling Stone Music critic Stephen Holden hailed Tug of War as the masterpiece everyone had always known Paul McCartney could make and admired its vivid music and consistent songwriting. So that brings us to the end of this album. You know, I'll I'll say one last thing about Ebony and Ivory is that there is a version of just Paul singing all the vocals, no
1: Stevie Wonder. Do you like that any more than the duet? And my problem is not Stevie. And we're going to see, when we get into Pipes of Peace, we're going to see that my problem is not guest artists because I think that Michael Jackson is great on Pipes of Peace.
3: We all know that people are the same wherever you go. There is good and bad in everyone. We learn to live. When we learn to give each other what we need to survive
1: Together,
3: alive
1: That brings us to the end of the album, and, you know, last track aside, I mean, it's a great album, and it's a great experience to listen through. Paul at his best with George Martin producing. What more could you ask for? Great album. Yeah, not much more. Except you could ask for more. And you get it, because you get Rain Clouds, which we've touched on. It was the B-side to Ebony and Ivory. And I discovered it in that way, actually. I had Tug of War, and I went out looking for more Paul McCartney, and I found the single and discovered that there was this track better than much of what I heard on the album. So, great B-side, but should have been on the album. A case where we could easily replace what's that you're doing with rain clouds and i think we'd have a better album we'd have uh, it be three minutes shorter but it'd be a better album a
2: sweet, bad, sweet, bad.
1: And that brings us to I'll Give You a Ring. Now, this is a song we've been referring to this off and on for multiple podcasts, right? Because it first came up in 1974. And my impression is that it was mostly recorded in 1974.
0: Yeah, this is the first tune he recorded after Band on the Run. Mm -hmm. This is what he came back and recorded first. This is a tune he had sitting around... I believe it's Beatles era, but you see this in the
1: piano demo Mm -hmm. earlier in the decade. That's right. You see him play it straight through on one hand clapping. He's just right there playing the song straight through. He knows it inside and out.
2: Yeah. So that's
1: 1974 and he knows it inside and out. And he he does a great performance of it on that video. He wrote this one at a young age. Yeah. Because it's in the style of suicide and your mother should know it's granny music basically but it's a little hipper than your usual granny music you
3: look a little lonely maybe I can meet ya tell me where to reach you, and I'll give you a ring i take you to the pictures i miss a second feature Lord I can't believe my eyes I must be dreaming give me your number hungry maybe i could take ya tell me when the wake ya and i'll give you rain i take you to the restaurant we're looking at the menu now i can't believe my eyes i must be dreaming give you number i'll give you rain
1: now the clarinet parts on this We're played by a guy named Tony Coe, C-O-E, and this is a chance for me to correct a mistake from an earlier episode. When we were talking about McGear, the album by Mike McCartney from 1974, we were talking about the song Leave It, and it has a wacky saxophone part on it. And As a matter of fact, I'm going to play a little bit of that wacky saxophone part here. So I heard that saxophone part and I thought, well, that's Paul screwing around. But that was Tony Coe, the same guy who played the clarinet on I'll Give You a Ring. And he plays beautifully on I'll Give You a Ring, which makes me think that he was just screwing around on Leave It. But anyway, I credited the Leave It saxophone to Paul McCartney and I was wrong. It was Tony Coe. It just sounded so weird. I couldn't imagine it was an actual professional. <laughs> but but the guy who plays clarinet on I'll Give You a Ring is clearly a professional. So I'll give you a
3: ring. i take you to the pictures. Miss a second feature. Loud I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming.
0: Yeah, so this song is great. It has a great chord progression. I think the lyrics are clever. You pull those out. Nah. I'll give you a ring. The twist at the end, he's giving somebody not a phone call, but an actual wedding ring, right? It would have made a better Beatles song or like a wing song, and I understand why he made it into a B-side. I still think he could have snuck this on the album.
4: On the Isle of Montserrat No, I never shall forget Just a country boy A guitar and a song You invited me in And you've treated me like kin And you've given me a reason to go home My old friend Thanks for inviting Goodbye, never mean the end. If we
0: so we didn't really touch on this tune. This is a song that Carl Perkins wrote while in Montserrat. And it was recorded the next day after they recorded Get It. And it didn't make it out until 1996's Go Cat Go. You know, this is a tune that some say is Lennon writing to McCartney from Beyond the Grave. Because one of the last things that Lennon had said to him, you know, think about me every now and then, you know, my old friend. Mm -hmm. And this is the exact lyric in this song. And it's a very touching song. Supposedly, Paul was very moved by the song. Yeah, he burst into it like Carl. Well, there's two stories. Carl, they were on a boat and Carl... Forgot the lyrics. Forgot the (laughs) lyrics, you know. Yeah. My time in Montserrat, I never will forget. And then he forgot all the lyrics and couldn't remember it. But then... When he did play it, you know, Paul left and, you know, Linda told Carl, you know, told the story I just told. And, well, that's one of the last things John Lennon said, Paul. Mm-hmm. And there it is in the song. And this is, it's beautiful. Let's just play it. It's beautiful. Yeah,
1: let's play it.
4: Thanks for inviting me here. My goodbye never mean the end If we'll never meet again this side of life In a little while over yonder where is peace and quiet My old friend Won't you think About me every now and then, and I'll think about you, my old friend. And
1: that's a one hundred percent. Paul Perkins' song, but you do have Paul singing backup vocals.
0: It would have been great if they had just put this as a B-side or even put it on the album too, but it's all right. I could take it on the album. So the only other tune that i know that we can talk about now because we have a whole record to get to next time is the robber's ball or robber's ball depending upon how it's titled
1: this is a little bit of a mccartney 2 throwback right i mean this is a little bit of mccartney 2 and he worked on it with wings a little bit supposedly could have been on back
0: to the egg era yeah. yeah
1: i have no earthly idea whether the version we know has any wings on it, it.
0: is a wild song i have no idea of the inspiration for it
1: it's insane
0: I can't point to another thing in Paul's canon that's like this
1: (laughs) yeah this is pretty out there so he's doing a bit of a queen thing right he's kind of doing a bit of a fake opera thing yeah he's doing and and the singing is kind of great singing's great I love the whole (laughs) image
0: of just this secret criminal headquarters and they're all just celebrating it could be after a heist before a heist it just has great drama to it. It's, it's amazing. I really hope it gets released.
1: electronic, too. I mean, it's really of the McCartney II era, but it is post-McCartney II, so he worked on it with Wings. We don't really... Do we know where exactly the tracks we're hearing come from? No idea. 81? It's post-McCartney 2 though, right? Yeah, for sure. It's one of these tunes that he finished in
0: this gap period for Hot Hits and Cold Cuts. The track could be McCartney 2 era. It could be Back to the egg. I don't know.
1: It's simple. I mean, it's a couple chords, but it's simple harmonically. But what he's doing with the vocals, that's not simple at all. (laughs) And Robert's Ball, man, that's Paul at his true operatic splendor. Yeah. He's doing it. (laughs) He's doing a little bit of an opera singer there, and it's working just fine.
0: Well, that, I believe, is a great place to wrap up what, to me, feels like part one Of a two-part podcast, Tug of War and Pipes of Peace.
1: So it's worth mentioning that Tug of War was considered as a double album. And as we said before, we don't have any definitive track list. I don't think a definitive track list was made, but so many of the songs that we will hear on Pipes of Peace were actually uh, not only worked on during the Tug of War sessions, but a handful of them were actually touched by Wings. So, so this, this stuff goes back to 1980 slash 1979.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of music in this period. And it goes back to what we saw when the Beatles broke up. Paul is in a state of crisis. And what does he do? He gets to work. He writes music. He records music. Yeah. And we have a ton of material, a lot
1: of which is unreleased A lot of which is great. We've covered a lot of material on this podcast, but these recording sessions encompassed so much stuff. And in fact, Pipes of Peace doesn't really do justice to how much more there was. It's frustrating. Pipes of Peace, we'll get to it, but Pipes of Peace is a little frustrating because we know what's there and we know what's on the album. The thing about Pipes of Peace is that it's the definition of filler. We could pretty much hold up hey hey like if you want to know what filler is hey hey is what filler is (laughs) yeah put a stylus right through hey hey
0: put ode to a koala bear on that but anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves
1: i just saw a strange poll that had people listing what they would like to see on a tug of war pipes of peace double album yeah do you know that ode to a koala bear was dead last
0: That doesn't make any sense at all.
1: (laughs) I just think people must not know the song. What a great song. And Rain Clouds was really low, too. Yeah. Well, anyway. It's a great record.
0: This kicks off Paul McCartney as a solo artist. We'll follow him into the present day from this point.
1: We enjoyed ourselves on this one a lot. And this is, you know, this is what the podcast is about, albums like this. You know, the moments where Paul really shines.
0: So Tug of War finds Paul McCartney, Post Wings kicking off his solo career with one of the best entries in his entire catalog. We are setting sail into uncharted territory. We don't have John Lennon anymore. We're going to see a lot of good decisions. We're going to see a lot of bad decisions, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Paul gets real weird from here and still has chart success. We look forward to catching up with you on the next podcast. For Pipes of Peace.
1: And we're going to end this episode with a little preview of what we have coming on Pipes of Peace.
2: There's a man
3: who plays the game of life so well such a man, his thoughts you can never tell, ooh, and it's just the way he thought it would be, cause the day has come for him to be free, then he laughs, he kicks the rolls up his sleeves, I'm alive and I'm
2: here for
1: Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.